The BS Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. The BS Report. The BS Report with Ben Simmons. Welcome to the BS Report. We are capping off uh, one of the great eight-day stretches in the history of this podcast. We went to All-Star Weekend. We did like six or seven straight hours of, uh, I think we had something like 20 guests and all. I can't remember, 17. Uh, and then we did podcasts all week this week, too. We had a bunch of them. Katie Nolan, Seth Myers, Jim Miller, and Jacko talked about SNL 40. Uh, and today we were doing a gigantic trade de- trade deadline podcast with a bunch of guests. First off, Joe House, who hasn't been on in a while. How are you, Joe House? I, I'm outstanding, and my head is still spinning. Yeah. Well... First of all, shout out to Zach Lowe, who's who's now a dad, who whose whose child decided to arrive uh, right before the trade deadline, almost almost, and then the trade deadline gods just decided to torture Zach Lowe. Um, but hello to him; he's he's taken a little bit of a break, and we wish him and his family health and happiness. Uh, yeah, but man, I, you know, unbelievable. Do... <laughs> well, first of all, I. I, I want to uh, chime in on a shout out to, to Zach. Uh, I feel kind of cheated. I feel like his little baby daughter kind of cheated um, me and people like me. Well, uh, how long before we get Zach's um, takedown of this whole crazy, um, you know, the last forty-eight hours? It's it's going to be a couple weeks. He's out. I think it's going to be a couple weeks. Yeah, I mean. His column today probably would have been like 11,000 words. And I, I don't even know where to start, but we were doing a real-time – so if, if if you haven't seen it yet on greatland.com, we did a real-time kind of a running diary shoot-around of uh, – instead of just everybody tweeting, we just decided to steer it toward an email chain. And we tried to capture what the trade deadline was like, and the hope was like, oh, maybe there will be one or two trades. And instead there was like 30. And uh, – and it was just fun, like rereading it, watching, watching, just like everything kind of go bonkers near the end. And in the moment, like it's really hard to process everything. About seven hours later, as I was trying to figure out who got what, and when you just like see the big packages of the, this team sent these guys out and got these guys back in, I don't like what Phoenix did. What the hell did Phoenix do in that? So they gave up. They gave up Dragic. They gave up Isaiah Thomas. They got back Brandon Knight, who's a restricted free agent. They gave up the Lakers pick, which unless it's in the top five, they get. And there's a real chance that could be like the sixth or seventh pick in the draft. They got back two Miami picks, which we don't even know if they're fully unprotected or not. I don't know if that's come out. They got a future Cleveland pick next year from Boston in the trade. So they sent out the best pick and got three other picks and downgraded at point guard, and also gave up Tyler Ennis and one of the Plumleys. I don't know if I like that, Joe House. Yeah, I, I think the only way it makes any sense to me is they were looking at having to pay the combination of Dragic and uh, Thomas, you know, like $14.5 million next year, and they should be able to stand uh, to sign Brandon Knight for for less than that. No, it would have so, been, been more because Dragic is going to get twenty. And Thomas has a great contract, but he, you know, I think he's like seven mil next year. So the, let's say they pay Brandon Knight, I don't know, ninety million over five years, so eighteen. So yeah, you're right that they would save probably nine million combined. Right. But, that's that's all. That's the only uh, you know way of processing what they did to make any any sense out of it. And I don't they, know why. they clearly are copping to having completely bungled the, 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 the Dragic relationship. Which which makes no sense at all to me. Because it's like I like Ryan McDonough. Everybody in the league speaks really highly of him. And I think he just messed up with the Isaiah Thomas signing. I think all that did was make Dragic not want to play there anymore. They they you know on paper it made sense. You're just grabbing an asset at a really good contract. Isaiah Thomas is definitely an asset. Um but it made it an unhappy basketball situation. It you know? seems like there's some there's a tension there in in Phoenix that arises from a couple of factors. In the first place, it seems like they organizationally, um, you know, uh, 
a year and a half ago, did not expect to rebuild so quickly. Like the, the, the pieces that they had in place, they looked like they were poised for a rebuild. We had them going like way, way, way under um, the over-under, not not to tie everything to over-unders, but... Yeah, you're uh, talking last season, yeah. We, yeah, we had, exactly. I think their over-under was 20, and we we both went under. Right. It was something exactly like that. And what what happened is the pieces that they had turned out to be pretty damn good, and Hornacek is, is you know, by every single indication, a hell of a coach. Um, and so there was this tension that's created by, you know, them... Saying, well, wait a minute, maybe we have something here. But at the same time, they seem to have this, they have a money issue in some way, shape, or form. Because I never understood, I still don't understand why they, they let Channing Fry go. I think that combination of Dragic and Fry was, was so unique and special last yeah, year. And it was a thing that, that they should have run back this year. And it's why I, again, not to take everything to the over-under, it's why I chose them under whatever it was, 44 or 45 wins this year. Well, think about it. They spent the exact same money on Thomas, maybe a little less, right. and they, they just could have gotten Channing Fry back, which would have helped them. So on Twitter seven minutes ago, Ryan McDonough had some quote, sometimes players get a little selfish and are more worried about I, me, and my than us, our, or we. So that might have been directed at Dragage or Thomas or both. But, you know, look. Dragic was underpaid. He was making like $7.5 million and he had player option at the end of this season. I thought he was the fourth best guard in the league last year. I voted him second team All-NBA. I thought he was spectacular. Um, he made third and, team All-NBA. Right. And, and he was at his best when Bledsoe missed like 35 games when it was just Dragic's yeah. offense. They kind of coexisted. It never totally seemed seamless, but they kind of it, – it worked. But it was never a perfect fit, but they made it work. You throw Thomas in there, um, the body language uh, doctor, as as you know myself, I've been appointed, anointed myself that's you, the body right? doctor. Yes, that's me. Uh, did not like the body language on the Suns the last month or so. And I think Dragic was just fed up because he's a point guard. He wants the ball. He doesn't want to. The other thing is, on defense, he was guarding the two guards and the three guards when they were playing. If they if they were if they were playing three point guards, he had to guard six seven guys, yeah. six foot seven guys, which I don't think he wanted to do either. And he's in a contract year. I can't blame him for being selfish about that. Can you? I, it, it, the, the whole thing is 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 confusing, and it doesn't make any sense at all to me. Um, and again, I think they they have some. There's some variables here that that are not apparent to us, right? There's something going on there in Phoenix in terms of what their overarching game plan is that are, that are not immediately uh, understandable. I would have rather traded the two first round picks I got from Miami to Philly in the Brandon Knight trade versus the Laker pick. I think that Laker pick is just, I, I was just shocked. I mean, Sam Hickey was all over the board yesterday, but the one thing he did that I really liked was, was turning Michael Carter Williams into um, into that Laker pick because yeah, that sure. might end up being the sixth pick in the draft. The Lakers right now are 13 and 40. Um, let's see. Minnesota's 11 wins. The Knicks have 10 wins. Philly's going to tank the hell out of the rest of the season. They got 12 wins. It's going to be close. So, yeah, I mean, so let's say the Lakers get the 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 fourth spot in the lottery. That's what the yeah. Celtics had last year, and the Celtics ended up six. Two teams jumped them. Right. So may, maybe from Phoenix's standpoint, they just looked at it and thought two out of three odds we don't get that pick. It was top five protected. And maybe they don't love this draft. That, you know. Well, I, that would be stupid. This is a good draft. I, I'm, I mean, I'm just saying, if you're trying yeah. to make some sense out of it. I, I, I think that pick as an asset was worth more than – Brandon Knight in a restricted free agent contract season. And also they gave up Ennis, who that's the other thing. It's like they had five point guards. What the hell were they doing? It's so confusing. They, and I don't we, and Archie Goodwin it. might be good. Right. Who, who knows? He can't get any time. He'll get time now. I'll tell you this much. I like Isaiah Thomas. And, and Sure. So what's your what's the Celtics starting five now? I just think they really liked Isaiah Thomas. 
and okay, and uh, they tried to sign Is him. He complimentary last to Smart. Yeah. Well, here's the okay. thing with him. He's he's kind of a crunch time guy. Like he's a crunch time scorer. All right. He uh, he's somebody that can get into the paint and you know create shots for himself or other people. And the Celtics, I, I mean, I've watched way too many Celtics games this season, and and I can tell you that they've they've been in these games and they can't score in the last two minutes. He's well, somebody is- that. That, that scores, who gets good shots, you know? So let's talk about that concept with a team that's actually going to make the playoffs and is in a position, you know, it could be interesting, and that's Milwaukee. So that's my biggest problem oh. and concern with the move that they made. I didn't like it. Unless they I could, didn't like it either. I just don't like Carter Williams that much, but I, I might I might just be irrationally biased on that one. Well, I, the thing about it that is appealing is they now have a young core – of um, guys, long arm, tall, that, tall uh, long arm guys. Yeah, yeah, and and have what appears to be kind of um, complementary skill sets, and they look like they could be kind of focusing on building around the two forwards, right, Parker and and the Greek Freak. It seems they just want a slew of six, seven, six, eight, six, nine guys that are interchangeable, and it's just one. Like right now, they have Greek Freak. They have. Uh, Parker, when he comes back, they have Chris Middleton. Yeah, they have Jared Dudley. They have Michael Carter Williams. OJ Mayo is, I think, six five. You know, it just goes on and on. These guys, they they're just they have more size than any other team on the perimeter. Maybe that's their goal. Yeah, well, but I don't think he can shoot. Putting it to good use, they they have great defense this year, right? They're they're a defense first team. Right, and Carter Williams is good defensively. He any he, and he's a, a so that's you how know, the fit works. Bit, but he's like, but he's like Giannis in the sense that, you know, he'll get assists and rebounds. He'll he'll fill up different parts of the box score. He's just an abominable shooter. He's really well, that's, awful. That's the issue, right? We, we're in a thirty-game sprint now. Who's going to score for them? Who gets the ball even inside of the last two minutes? To shoot thirty-eight percent on a bad team is pretty hard. <laughs> Because well, you're playing a lot of games where you're you're down 15 and the other team's letting up, and you know what I mean, like 38 percent, and and he's and he's probably the worst three point shooter in the league, 26 percent for the, his career from three. It means the Goldsberry, uh, you know, um, shot chart doesn't look very good. It has a lot of the colors you don't like. No, the Goldsberry shot chart. Anytime the Goldsberry shot chart has colors that you say, wow, that's a new color. I haven't seen that one yet. That's usually a bad sign for the player. Unless that unless that color is like a dark, dark red, you're in trouble. Um, so, yeah, I don't – maybe they just didn't think they could sign Brandon right? Or maybe they didn't want to. Yeah, they didn't want to is, is my, my take on it. Um, oh, well, congratulations, so Phoenix. Huh? Congratulations to Phoenix, then. It's so curious, though. I we we, we I think we're going to be scratching our heads about Phoenix for because now I haven't looked at the impact in terms of projected wins, but it, it's got to be less than than when we woke up uh, Thursday morning, right? I would think. Um. They're going to be probably. I mean, didn't I they just trade them, their, themselves out of the playoffs? Yeah, I think their feeling was probably that that was going to happen anyway, though. Because okay, it's going to be a juggernaut. I mean, yeah. Did you see Durant limping around last night, though? Well, here's the thing. I I, I think they did great. I loved what OKC did. They certainly didn't. They certainly didn't. Uh, I, I've never, I never thought Reggie Jackson was that good. He and had one good, you know, stretch in the playoffs. He did, and that was really how we, everyone bases their opinions of Reggie Jackson. But I don't like when guards don't get to the line and can't shoot threes. You can do one, but not both. You don't like that and combination. I don't. 
Because then, at that point, what are you? You're not getting to the yeah, rim a lot, and you're not making threes. So what are you? You're just shooting 20-footers then. And I don't know. I just don't think he's that good. And I, and I also think when you're playing with two guys like Durant and Westbrook, it's it's a little difficult to tell how good you are because the defense isn't going into those games thinking, look, we got to stop Reggie Jackson. But you're just kind of out there getting open shots. So – I actually think Detroit might have overrated him, but I'm with you on Cantor. I like Cantor. Barkley was I like very him. bullish on him last night, and I agree with it. Like, that guy, he can at least score in the low post. Like, he can get his shot. He can turn around. He can go. He can drop step either way. He's got a He's got a kind of a – it's streaky, but sometimes he looks good from three, too. I just think he's a pretty good offensive player. I think he's a, a very solid offensive player. I, I actually saw – Utah live um, play the, the almost bullets here in Washington and had great seats. So I got to see him up close. He yeah. um, is really strong uh, down low. And I think the combination of him and Serge, holy cow. I mean, Serge, for whatever reason, is now uh, on the offensive end a face up guy, right? He, he wants to shoot yeah. um, mid range out to the three point line. So that yep. the, the, the low post is wide open. Yeah, Serge and wants to, is live down there. Yeah, Serge wants to be Chris Bosh. I don't know if I totally agree with Serge. I think he's a little young to decide he's just shooting <laughs> jumpers, but he's also a really good rebounder, as we saw last night. And if you're 25 feet from the basket, that's not really helping your rebounding. That the the issue with Cantor is he's a lousy defensive player, which is why the Celtics didn't want to trade for him. But but that um, you know Serge. Serge, that's exactly the, the, the compliment that Serge, Serge serves up. Serge is not a lousy defensive thing. player. Right. Those two together. I, that's why I, I really like what OKC did. Right. Well, th- here's the problem, though, when you add somebody like Cantor and when you add Deion Waiters and, like, these – I get what they're doing. They're getting guys with pedigree, right? Waiters was the fourth pick in the draft. Cantor, I think, was the second pick in the draft. You get Durant and Westbrook where – two and four. So now you have four top five lottery picks in your team. This is, they also went for Thabit once upon a time for the same reason. Like certain teams love guys who have that high lottery pedigree, but the problem is they need to win this season. You know, they need to win the title this season. They second round and out is not an option. And you're counting now on two young players who have talent, who have never played in a big game. Ever. Well, no, no, no. You're not. I wouldn't say you're counting on. You're counting on Westbrook and Durant for that for the for the big game. Yeah, but agree. you know that you need role players to come through. Like they they get they lose the Memphis series last year if Reggie Jackson doesn't come through in that game. Well, Durant, uh, so Cantor I'm and prepared. You're prepared for what? I'm prepared to have you laugh at this, but um, I like DJ Augustine in that role. Kevin Durant's roommate <sighs> at Texas. DJ Augustine. I know, but you and I both both lost money on that Texas team that year. Not only that, um, DJ Augustine was the reason that uh, the almost bullets beat the Bulls last year in the first round. Um, I I I don't know what to make of DJ Augustine. He was terrible in Charlotte. He was awesome on Chicago. Right. He was terrible in Detroit. Brandon Jennings got hurt. He wasn't terrible in Detroit anymore. I, I mean, how do we know what he's going to do in OKC? You would think he would be good. But from, from what I remember, both in Chicago and Detroit, when, when Jennings went out, he seems like a guy who kind of needs the ball to be good. He's not going to have the ball in this OKC team. He'll have the ball in a in a setup capacity, and he needs to play that role of, of um, knocking down jumpers. I mean, re- re- remember... Okay, so you had Derek Fisher doing that last year. Right. I'm just saying, like, he, when he succeeded, it's been because he had the ball. That's my only point. I, I haven't seen okay. him succeed right. just as a stand-in-the-corner guy. But maybe he can do it. Um, I actually, the more I look at this, I think Singler might have a, a bigger impact for them. I, absolutely. I, I, I'm right there with you. I like it. I I like his three point. I could, I could see him making big shots for them. Plus, he's tall, six eight. He's a big boy. That big boy on the perimeter. 
He was he's forty percent forty percent from three this year. That's taking that's like three and a half. Better than Anthony Morrow, isn't it? Yeah, Anthony Morrow's been pretty good too. Yeah, they. This is the best all around OKC team. If Durant isn't, I mean, from a talent standpoint, it's the most talent they've had. And Mitch McGarry's look confident too. Um, I'm not counting the 2012 team, even though it had James Harden on it, because that that was. They had four guys who had talent on that team. This team is is, is deeper, but this team's deep. If, if Durant's not healthy, um, then I'm concerned. Well, look, they it, also it, it, they, both they, those guys have mood, to be healthy. The mood on that team is weird. Durant and Westbrook going into us against them mode. I just don't understand. I don't get it. Why? I, you know, they they they're fed up with it, right? They what are they fed started up off with? this Who? season? It, they've had their worst beginning to a season of the time that t- the two of them have been together. Okay. And you know, the the all of the background noise just keeps getting louder and louder about, you know, the it being kind of a failed design there in OKC and you know, they're they're never going to be be able to recover from the Harden trade. It's not that surprising to me that they would you know, finally say uh, enough. We, we, we've had enough of this. We're ready. We're trying to win a championship. We're going to go do it. Okay. I mean, they're, I, dis- they're over- I disagree. Was- I see it, but I disagree. Yeah. It seems like they should be mad at the front office instead of the media. Their front office I- was, was the one that traded, that decided James Harden wasn't worth $60 million over four years when he was 22 or 23 years old. And now he's the MVP, the number one MVP candidate. Like they, it seems like they should direct the anger that way. Well, I, 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 you know, I don't want to try and pop psychologize it, but I think they say, look, you know, we're the team. Uh, we don't have any control over, you know, our teammates, but, but, you know, the group we got is pretty damn good. We're going to go out and try and do the best we can with it. Supposedly that Reggie Jackson situation really went south. Well, right. So that's a cloud lifted now, right? I think they're ready to get him the f out of there. It, it, it became pretty apparent over the last fifteen games. It's funny, like we've had we had more unhappy players in uh, heading into this trade deadline than I than, than we've had in a few years. People that were just kind of like, "Get me the f out of here." It seemed like it came a little bit out of nowhere. I mean, the Dragic thing, especially, it was just stunning to me. Yeah, he got. It, it wasn't stunning if you watched them on League Pass the last couple of weeks, though. Yeah, it, they they had there was something a, going on there. Yeah, there's just an unhappy vibe to them. You know, it was one of the most fun subplots of the trade deadline, though. The Celtics have the Clippers pick unprotected and have you know a little residue bitterness with Doc Rivers over how that whole thing went down. So they get Austin Rivers in that trade, and they're just dangling him over a cliff and making Doc panic that they're just going to bury him in the D league for the rest of the season. And he ends up panicking and gives up, you know, an asset. Then Doc thinks he's going to buy, he's going to get Tayshaun Prince on a buyout. Everyone thinks the Celtics are going to buy out Tayshaun Prince. Stocks like we're going to get Tayshaun Prince. This would be great. Now Tayshaun Prince would actually probably have played crunch time for the Clippers. As crazy as that sounds. It that's not that, crazy at all. That's how horrible they are on the perimeter. And he yeah. was—he wasn't bad on the Celtics. I got to say, like he—he he was fairly more competent than I expected. Um, and the Celtics make it seem like they're going to buy him out. They have this Detroit trade. Nobody knows about it, and then with like three minutes to go, they make the Detroit trade. Ten minutes to go, whatever <laughs> it was, and and now Doc is stuck with his team and has no chance of getting any perimeter guys. That that whole thing with with the Clippers and. Um the vulnerability they have on the perimeter. Why weren't they ever mentioned in the Aflalo situation? Because they didn't have the contracts. They, 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 they couldn't come up with a, a way to make it work. The biggest, I mean, Doc's made some awful moves, and he's a really, really, really uh, bad GM, or at least that's that's been the track record for 18 months. The Jared Dudley trade was one of the dumbest trades of the decade, that was very low impact and didn't really totally matter, but made no sense at all. Really, I mean, 
Dudley was hurt the whole last season. He had a great podcast with Zach Lowe. He had like a broken bone in his knee that he tried to play through and had a cheap contract. Like he, he was like four million bucks or something. And they traded Dudley um, with a first round pick to get him off or to create cap space. I, I don't even totally know what the reason was, but these teams always try to make their deals in the summer instead of like waiting until February, you know? And yeah. they just kind of held Dudley on. And at the very least, he's a contract they could have thrown into another trade. They gave up that first round pick, which was a real asset. And, uh, and then when guys like Aflalo and Wilson Chandler are out there, they can't go get them. But I, I mean, Dudley was clearly hurt last year. Because I, I don't think you lose the ability to play basketball in your late 20s. Didn't make yeah. a lot of sense when it happened. He was terrible last year, but um, I didn't know he was hurt. I didn't know he had a broken bone in his knee. Doc must have known, right? I don't know. Well, they still have a hole on the perimeter. What do you make of that Clippers team? I, I liked them as a dark horse team to get to the finals um, this year at the beginning of the season. And... You know, that, that whole, uh, you know, subtext of their attitude problem and, you know, how the rest of intensely the rest of the league dislikes them because they're always bitching and moaning and the, you know, the persona of Chris Paul as, um, you know, a guy that, that's never committed a foul in his whole career um, and, you know, the, the, the constant complaining, it seems to be... Uh, you know, an attribute that everybody assigns to the Clippers as kind of a, you know, it's part of their identity. I don't, I don't like any of that. You know, it's, it's not championship caliber attitude. It's not guys with their heads down, you know, just going out handling the regular season the way it needs to be handled and then gearing yeah. up for, for that stretch run. It's a distraction and an, and an unnecessary one. Yeah. But I keep waiting for them to, going to a tailspin and then you watch a game like last night and it just seemed like one of those games the Spurs were going to steal and then Chris just makes a couple of monster shots and yep. you know it's easy to forget Chris Paul's awesome at basketball and well and it, it doesn't hurt them at all for DeAndre to get this this kind of leash right let him sort of get his legs under him let him get some confidence in this in the way he's been doing the last you know since Blake got hurt yeah he probably you could have talked me into him being an all-star over Dirk. I guess the coaches voted. They they go in order with the voting results. But um, just night to night, I think DeAndre's been safer. He's keeping them in it. Safer bet. He certainly is. How but many now, free throws is he going to take through the through the rest of the, the season? I have an idea for that, by the way. You know how everybody oh. hates Hack-A-Shack, but nobody can figure yeah. out how to get rid of it? Yeah. What if he did this? Up until the last two minutes of the game, if you if if you if one of your players gets fouled like that, you can just turn down the free throws. And do what? You just turn them down. So you 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 have possession, but you re- refuse the free throws. Do you and what's the shot clock go to? Like fourteen seconds or something? Yeah. Huh? You just say, you know what? Actually, we're good. We're not going to take those free throws. We'll take the ball back. And then if a team and if a team does that, all they do is just get a foul, just to add to their foul total. Thanks, you stopped the clock. Great, good work. We're gonna we're just gonna keep the ball now. That's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like in football when they in football when uh they decline the penalty when they have like you know that they call the uh the the false start when you're punting from the forty five so you can get five more yards for the punt and the other team says no yeah. actually we're gonna decline that. Why don't you punch from the forty five? Yeah. Um, we're, gonna, to we're going to Tom Haberstrow. Any last trade deadline thoughts? Um, I don't understand what the hell's going on in Philly. Uh it seems like they restarted their rebuild. Uh I'm sure that Hinky's got a plan. Um but like Embiid isn't gonna play this whole year, right? And Nerlens Noel has been pretty good. I'm just so confused. Like, you know, look at us in two years. Is that what they're telling their fans? I, I didn't understand the, the KJ McDaniels trade. I really like him. And they just kind of gave him away for Isaiah Cannon and second round pick. I like Cannon. 
But I think KJ McDaniels has a chance to really be something. And uh, I don't get that trade. And it just seems like they're rolling over ass future assets for even further in the future assets. It's really hard for yeah. me not to look at this and be cynical and say, this is the best way for a GM to keep his job for a long time. Uh, I, I don't think that. I don't think he's motivated by that. I understand what you're saying, but I don't. I don't that's why. I don't that's why that. I said I was being super cynical about it. But man, if I, if I was a GM and I was like, "How do I keep my job for seven years?" I would be doing what Sam Hinkie's doing. Yeah, we took well, another guy. He can't come over for three years. He's in Europe. He's going to be really good. Well, let's end this segment between you and I with both of us saying a little prayer for Chris Bosh because. The thing yeah. that I know both of us are most excited about is what Miami could be capable of in these playoffs. Plus, yeah. we both love Bosch, and you you got to do a podcast with him, so I know you have some personal feelings for him. So let's make sure that he gets healthy as soon as possible. Yeah, he was an awesome, awesome podcast guest. I genuinely liked him. Um, I like watching him play basketball. He's I think he's one of the most thoughtful players in the league, and uh, I was excited to watch that Miami team. So, so, I mean, so obviously his health takes crossed. a precedent. Yeah. Good good yeah. good last point, Joe House. Um and congrats on the Ramad Sessions there. <laughs> At least he has a pulse. Sad to see the professor go, but I think it might have been time. I think the professor was tenured. It was just <laughs> I believe I believe he's tenured. He was like one of those Holy Cross professors where you're like, Wow, that guy how is that guy still a professor? I always get tenure. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, all right, Joe House. Enjoy the time. weekend. Sorry about the West Coast weather. By the way, I'm doing PTI March 6th and March 7th, so there's some dinners in our future. Yeah, I, I've, I've made a couple reservations, buddy. Don't you worry. Okay. I'll see you soon. All right. See you. All right. As promised, we're going to Tom Haberstrow, who is in an airport connecting on his way to Miami. You're in, what are you, in the New Orleans airport? I'm in Atlanta. Atlanta. Oh, that's uh, a good airport. Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I'm actually staring at it right now, um, yeah. and mm. it's really tempting me not to just put the phone down, Bill, and just go devour a uh, chicken sandwich. Spicy chicken is what I go with with the waffle fries. But but the weird thing is, Bill, the last time I was here was when LeBron announced his decision to go to Cleveland, and I couldn't believe it. I was kind of shell-shocked in this airport, so this is twice in a row now, because on this flight I just found out um, about Chris Bosh. And so uh, this has kind of turned my world upside down. I don't know what it is about the Hartsfielder. So, all right, we're taping this right now. It's like 1 o'clock East Coast time. Um, so Chris Bosch's season is in jeopardy. That's all we know at this point. So if 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 that if that news changes in some way by the time we finish the podcast, uh, so be it. But we House and I just uh, talked about Bosch, wished him the best. But this, this was uh, 24 hours ago we were talking about we we did the trade deadline thing on Grantland. We were talking about how his decision not to go to Houston and stay with Miami belatedly had blossomed into this awesome decision because that Miami team on paper looked like a juggernaut all of a sudden, right? Yeah. I mean, I was just talking about this with Brian Winhurst last night. We were in the green room at, in Bristol, and I was like, how many – how many starting lineups are better than the one that Miami would have thrown out with Goran Dragic, Dwayne Wade, Lou Aldang, Chris Bosh, and Hassan Whiteside? Like, I don't know. You have Cleveland, maybe, um, Atlanta, Golden State, and then after that, it's pretty tough. I mean, they've got an above-average player at every position, yeah. and then you consider the dynamic you know, pick-and-roll offense. You've got the pick-and-pop pick and with Chris Bosh. The pick and dive with uh, with Hassan Whiteside with a potential lob and kick out to Dwayne Wade or cutting Dwayne Wade, and it's just it. I it's the only team in the NBA that ha- would have five players with a top uh, ninety per. I know that sounds kind of convoluted, but basically it just says the top five players for the Miami Heat um, are stacked, and they didn't yeah. give up any rotation players in that deal. It was uh, yet another great Pat Riley trade. But uh, I'm amazed by – people don't seem to understand how good Dragic is. And I've been writing this that last year I voted for him second team All-NBA and felt really good about it. Like I really genuinely felt like he was one of the best four players in the league. And this was – you know, the Bledsoe thing was a little weird, but they made it work. And Bledsoe didn't only play, I think, like 44 games, something like that last year. This year 
they had three point guards. He didn't have the ball a lot. And, uh, I know, I know this is a subject that you like to talk about. Just Dragic's <laughs> decline in the usage rate, how that affected his stats. I don't think people realize this is a cause and effect thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at it, uh, the sport view stats, he can tell you exactly the decline in ball possession. So everyone talks about it, you know, it's tough playing next to two ball-dominant guys. Well, actually, we can put a number to it. So he's had the ball in his hands 40% less than last year, 40%. And this is one of the best players in the NBA last year, and you reward him with uh, taking the ball out of his hands. I mean, I, I don't know what exactly happened, uh, who was told what, um, or, or why they decided to go in a different direction after Goran Dragic had an amazing season. But when you look at his points per touch, it's it's actually better this year than last year. you got to get the ball in his hands. Um, and actually, Kevin Pelton, the insider, looked into this data. When he is the lone point guard, when he is not next to you know Eric Bledsoe or Isaiah Thomas, the last couple of years, he's been performing at like a top five point guard rate. So absolutely, yeah. what you were seeing last year was was true. I mean, this year and last year, he's so efficient. He's the best finishing guard in the NBA. He has the same field goal percentage at the rim as Blake Griffin and LeBron James. Think about that. Think about that. Wow. And the Heat got him without giving away any rotation players. And, and Pat Riley never uses his draft pick. So this was a heist, in my opinion. Uh, for, for Pat Riley and the Miami Heat. This is the kind of move you make when you have this championship window and you have these draft picks. Goran Dragic is worth it. And, you know, they had no idea that Whiteside was going to become what Whiteside's become. So I think they just decided to move all the poker chips in. Do we know if those picks were unprotected? Has that come out yet? Yeah, the 2021. <laughs> isn't it weird we're talking about 2021? It's like, I don't even yeah. know if Pat Riley is going to still be uh, in the NBA at that point, but 2021 is going to be unprotected. And the word mm. is that the 2019, um, or the one that could be conveyed as early as 2017, that's going to be uh, a, a top seven, I believe, a top seven protected pick. But look, I mean, you hoard these picks, you trade these picks for a guy like Goran Dragic. Another thing right. why I love Dragic, Phil, he's played 4,000 fewer minutes than Russell Westbrook. I mean, that's not even counting postseason. He basically didn't play for the first two years in the league. So if you're talking about, like, LeBron James is an old 30, like, Goran Dragic is a young, a young 28. So he has no miles on his tires. So when you're looking at a five-year deal going forward, um, I feel pretty safe about doing that with Dragic because, you know, he came into the draft with Russell Westbrook and he has three fewer seasons on his, on his legs. So that has to matter. I agree. I wouldn't have blinked at $20 million a year if the Celtics had gotten him. And I think the Celtics would have made a real run at trying to get him, except he made it pretty clear um, he wanted New York, L.A., or I forget what the third team was. But now when Miami comes calling and you have a chance to be in Florida, no state taxes, playing with Bosch, Wade, uh, Spolstra, on a team that could contend right now, I mean, you got to do that. I, I don't. I think that was a no-brainer for Dragic. He's got to be so happy yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's kind of been through a little bit of a spin cycle here with with Bosch. I mean, the whole Miami organization is trying to figure out what is going on. But you also look at it from this perspective, Bill. I mean, statistically, the point guard position for Miami was the worst position in the NBA. So Mario Chalmers and Norris Cole and Shabazz Napier are all good people, um, but it was a dumpster fire. I mean, that position yeah. was so bad, and it, it was causing all sorts of stress for Eric Spolster, and it was exacerbated by the fact that they didn't have a backup two all year. So you have all these stinky point guards, and you got to play them at the two behind Dwayne Wade when he's been out. So like they, they collectively have a 10 PER, so 15 is average, Collectively, the point guard position for Miami has a 10 PER. Their opponent PER at the point guard position was 19. So that differential, Jesus. that nine-point differential, is the largest, the worst differential in the NBA. So getting Dragic would have been, like getting an average point guard would have been a huge, huge move for the Miami Heat. But now they get one of the best in the NBA. Uh, I wrote about it 
uh, today. I said it's like going from a rotary phone, skipping the flip phone, and going to a smartphone. I mean, that's that's uh, how big of a difference this would be for the Miami Heat. And Isaiah Thomas would have been the flip phone, I think. Like even getting him would have been a massive upgrade for them. The the advanced numbers have really liked it, Isaiah Thomas, over the years. And you could make a case that uh, either he's never been in the right coach slash right situation slash um, right teammates ever. You know, I don't know if we've ever seen him just in a situation where it's like, you're a point guard. We're going to run. Do your thing. That hasn't happened yet. Uh, what do you expect from him in Boston? I mean, he's really efficient. Um, he's a scoring point guard. It, it does raise some red flags that everywhere he's gone, his teammates don't really love playing with him. Um, he's not exactly been Goran Dragic's best friend or DeMarcus Cousins' best friend out in Sacramento. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious to see how that Marcus Smart combination will work because I think Marcus Smart is good enough defensively to cover up his mistakes, uh, Isaiah Thomas' size, and play that um, at the two. But I, I'm just kind of getting mixed signals here from Boston. It seems like you know they give up a future first-round pick for Isaiah Thomas, and yes, he has a descending uh, contract in terms of salary, so it's not going to be a, a bad salary going forward. But I would have put all my marbles into Marcus Smart, and it seems like Smart. Um, it seems like Isaiah Thomas just. No one really likes to play with him, but maybe this is just a two-team sample size here, and he just needs the right spot. And I, I do think that Jeff Hornacek is a good coach. So I do think that that was the, the right situation, the right system for Isaiah Thomas, even if he was a little bit uh, you know, loaded at the point guard, so he was not really able to do his thing with uh, Eric Bledsoe and Goran Dragic there too. So I'm curious to see how this plays out. Are you bullish on that? I am, because... I don't think he's been in the right situation. And I also think him and Smart can play together. I, I think Smart reminds me of Bledsoe in the sense that he's kind of one of those point guards who could also be a shooting guard. And it doesn't really matter where he plays in the court. He can guard bigger guys. He's a, he's an A-plus defender. He's just great. He can guard everybody up to like six seven six eight. So you can True. play them together. Yeah. And the, the problem with the Celtics team the last two years – actually really the last three years uh, is they just didn't have a go-to guy in the last five minutes of a game. You know, they, they've been in all these games. They are really well coached. I, I, Stevens has been incredible. You think like this is a team that traded their two best players and got better. Um, And it's just in the last three minutes of a game, they don't know where to go or what to do. And now they're going to know where to go and what to do. Um, And if you think like they could play smart and Thomas and crunch time, with James Young, um, assuming that he progresses past a certain level, and then whatever big guy combination you want for the other two spots, it's a, it's a lineup that actually makes sense now. And they could go three guard with Avery Bradley too, because Bradley and Smart are so good defensively. You could hide a, you could hide Isaiah Thomas on, you know, whoever the spot shooter is. Like if they're playing Oklahoma City, you can hide Isaiah Thomas on Kyle Singler, you know. So I yeah, actually think yeah. it does work. I'm interested. Thomas's like per minute stats have always been like kind of crazy good, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. It it's, sounds like you're a little, uh, you're a little more down on him than I am. It sounds like. Well, I just don't know. Um, I just don't know if he's a point guard, and I know that sounds kind of traditional, like conventional thinking, but um, I just don't know if teammates like to play with him. Um, yeah. And when you when you have a guy like that screams Jamal Crawford to me. It screams like a guy who comes off the bench and gives you, you know, 15 quick points and keeps you into the game in that second unit. I don't see him as a closer um, for, like, a good playoff team. I see him as a good, you know, piece for the Boston Celtics. But at the end of the day, if Isaiah Thomas is your answer in crunch time, I think you got bigger problems. Um, I know the Boston Celtics aren't trying to contend right now, but I see him right. kind of as a... Jamal Crawford type coming off the bench, a Lou Williams type who can get you buckets in crunch time and hold that second unit down. But from everything that I've heard, he wants to start. And so if he creates a stink about trying to get that starting gig over Marcus Smart, um, I'm not so sure how fun Brad Stevens will be uh, coaching that day. Yeah, I I think the Celtics really like him, though. 
Like they went after him pretty hard last year. The other thing is his best friend is Avery Bradley because they grew up together. So maybe this will be the first situation from a chemistry standpoint that maybe he'll be happy. I also, House and I talked about this earlier because I'm not a Reggie Jackson fan. I don't like guards that can't shoot threes and can't get to the line. I think you, you, you can get away with one but not both. And one of the things I like about Thomas is he can shoot threes and he gets to the line. You know, he knew both of those things, which makes me think maybe um, maybe on a team, especially in the style that Stevens plays where they're run and gun, you know, maybe maybe he'll blossom a little bit. It is a little curious. Like he went at the tail end of the second round, even in the draft. And this was somebody who put up huge college stats and was a really good player in college. Mm-hmm. So I think there's always been red flags around him. What do you think? Goldsberry does, is not a Michael Carter Williams fan because of his outside shooting. We know why the Bucks got him. They wanted to put another six foot seven, six foot eight, six foot nine guy with all the other guys they have, and just have this whole team of long armed tall guys. Do you like Michael Carter Williams? I don't. Um, I'm not a huge fan of him because I just think he's not a great shooter, and it's so hard to be, as you said earlier, it's so hard to be a great point guard or a good point guard in the in the current NBA without being able to shoot and without being able to get to the line. And so I, I think Michael Carter-Williams is a product of the Hinky system of play a thousand possessions per game, inflate your box score statistics, and and he sold high. You know, Sam Hinky sold high. And I get, I get what people are saying about Jason Kidd looking at Michael Carter-Williams and seeing himself. But, yeah. to, you know, borrow is something that you've always said over the years. It seems like a homeless person's uh, Jason Kidd. You know, like I, I really do believe that Michael Carter Williams is one of the more overrated players. Um, he's up tempo point guard. I think he's tra- he's turnover prone, uh, but he's a big guy. He's he's big and he can guard multiple positions. But uh, this is the reason why I was so down on the Mavs getting Rondo, is because defenses are too smart, too sophisticated in this day and age to to you know, have a guy who cannot shoot from the three-point line and a guy who does not get to the free-throw line and hit free-throws. Rondo is kind of a relic from a different era in that sense, in the same way that um, Boston fans are really excited to see Isaiah Thomas. It might be that they're just so, I don't know, tired of watching Rondo not be able to attack the rim and get to the free-throw line and, and shoot open threes. You're going to see a lot of that with Isaiah Thomas. But in Dallas, um, I'm not surprised to see their offense struggle with Rondo out there, even if their defense has benefited. Yeah, I'm very close to admitting defeat with the Rondo trade. I thought he was on cruise control with the Celtics. And yeah. that when he got to a good team, he was going to flip the switch and go back to me in 2012 Rondo. Now, there was always whispers when he was in Boston that the Celtics didn't feel like he was 100% physically and might not get back to where he was. You know, and he did miss a year and yep. a half, basically. Um, the more I watch him, and, and this recent thing with the facial fracture did not help. Because um, that was a pretty serious injury, and, that, and that's one of those injuries that makes you play basketball differently for a while. You don't want to go into the traffic. You don't want to be flying into bodies. You're afraid of getting elbowed. It changes your mindset of how you play. And I, I think sometimes fans fans uh, forget that. I actually broke my orbital bone once when I was in high school. Ooh. And Ooh. yeah, and it, I broke my orbital bone and my cheekbone and it fundamentally changed, crashed my motor scooter. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it changed the way how I played. I didn't want to get hit and it, it, I was never the same. Like I, I used to be reckless. And then after that happened, I, I just didn't want to get hit by anybody. And maybe that'll come back for Rondo. Maybe not. He's wearing those masks, all that stuff. But, um, but if he's, physically deteriorating and he's afraid to get fouled and he's not making threes, as you said, that's not a player you want in 2015. And that, that might've been a really disastrous trade for Dallas. If he doesn't step it up, I'm worried about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing what's good about that situation is that they got Amari Stoudemire who can kind of fill in what Brandon Wright did. Part of the reason why the Rondo trade I was down on is because they gave up a really a really good bench player who was basically, you know, a dunk waiting to happen. Um, yeah. And when you're playing with a pick and roll offense with Monte Ellis and Jameer, 
Um, that's huge. That's huge. You can have basically no offensive drop-off when you take Tyson Chandler off the floor. So um, another thing on, on Rondo is, like, it's the same thing that Derrick Rose, when he, when he was coming back to, from his knee injury, he was tentative. He was always looking down. He was worried about his knee. And you hear it from basketball players all the time is when you turn your ankle or you have reconstructive ankle surgery, you're always looking down when you look, you know, when you jump in the air and you get this mental block. And yeah. for Rondo, it almost feels like um, a lot of different things, you know, the ACL and that facial uh, fracture, uh, it could set him back. And, I, and it, it kind of stinks because I was kind of hoping to see full on Rajon Rondo, like in the playoffs for Boston yeah. a couple of years ago. I'm hoping to see that Rondo, but increasingly I'm getting worried that the best of Rondo, we've already seen it. Yeah, and the other problem is even before he got hit in the face, he was afraid to get fouled. And the, the free throw shooting was in his head, and it was changing how he played. Um, he, he, from a stylistic standpoint, was not the same guy. Now, you could make a case that he needs his own team where he has the ball all the time and – is just kind of in charge because that's not how, that's not the way Dallas is using him. I still think I'm not giving up on him, but I don't know if that's the right team for him. And as a lot of people have pointed out, their favorite play is that little play with Dirk, you know, the little handoff play with the point guard. Yep. And now teams just, they, they don't even worry about Rondo when he does the handoff they, play. They just flood Dirk. They sit on Dirk. They yeah. sit on him. So that that really really hurts Dallas. So I, I am a little worried. And the other thing that, you know, they they traded assets in that Rondo trade, that could have become other assets. You know what I mean? So it's like they had three chits. They had the, their first round pick. They had Brandon Wright, and they had Jay Crowder, who I think is somebody else that could have they could have thrown in a deal and gotten something. They don't give up any of that stuff for Rondo. Now they're sitting at the, at that trade deadline a couple of days ago, and they're in the middle of a bunch of different things, right? Like they're they're in for Isaiah Thomas, they're in for the Denver guys, who are, KJ McDaniel's. Like, there's a lot of ways that could go. Um, by the way, were you stunned by that? I thought that was the weirdest trade of the day. Why would Philly give up KJ McDaniel's? Yeah, that one was a pretty big surprise because. I, 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 if anyone's watched KJ McDaniels this season, he's like a revelation. Yeah, and I get that he's not—he's not all that skilled, but just the hop, the shot blocking, and he averages about two two shot blocks every thirty-six minutes. He's like an elite shot blocker at the two two guard, and they basically gave up—you know—they um, basically got Isaiah Cannon and a second rounder for him. But what what I'm hearing, Bill, and you you might have heard this too, is just they had no intention of matching. KG McDaniel's salary this summer when he becomes a restricted free agent. So um, they probably just felt like, look, um, we we need to get something back for him if we're going to let him loose this summer. But then again, like I, I would expect to see a much larger haul than what they got. And oh, like look at look at McDaniel's what he's going to do in Houston: up tempo offense, shot mm. blocking with Josh Smith and Dwight Howard. It's going to be a terror to go against those guys defensively. Uh, with them just swatting everything. I have two points. I'm going to swear in the first run, so get ready to bleep me, Joe. Joe Fuentes, our podcast producer. Um, first of all, why the f*** wouldn't they want to pay KJ McDaniels? I'm sorry, are they loaded with talent? What the f*** is going on here? They have no talent. They're like $20 million under the salary cap. They don't want to pay KJ McDaniels? They're not going to be good for five years anyway. Um, so that's one point. And then the other point, as you said, we're going to be watching the playoffs, and he's going to have an awesome game on TNT where, like, Corey Brewer gets into foul yep. trouble or Harding gets into foul trouble. Or so, and this guy's going to come out, and he's going to block three shots, and he's going to get 10 rebounds in 15 minutes, and he's going to dunk over somebody. And they're going to go to halftime, and Barkley and Kenny and those guys are going to be saying, oh, my God, K.J. McDaniels, I can't believe what I just <laughs> – that's going to happen in the playoffs. And people are going to be like, how did they get him? And they're not going to understand how they got him for what they gave up. Those yeah. are my two predictions. Yeah. yeah, I could totally see that happening, Bill. And and the thing is, um, you know, that that's it's weird because Daryl and him are boys, right? Sam and Daryl go way back to the Houston yeah. days. And it seems like if anyone who's you know understands the value of KJ McDaniels, it's, it's Sam Hankey. And it seems like that's a guy that you want to pay for. But I do think, 
this summer the contract that um, they basically turned down that four-year contract and just went with the restricted one, one-year deal. I'm guessing that his agent, KJ McDaniel's agent, just told Sam Hagen that we're out. We're done. I don't yeah. care. I don't care what happens. We're going to make a stink about it. And you can match the restricted free agency offer, but we're going to make a stink, and I'm going to hurt you and other, my other clients if you do that. So this might have been a leverage point where Sam Hankey just said, I'm just going to rid myself of this headache later. Um, it's gone to the past the point of no return with KJ McDaniel. It's just so weird. They gave him to a, a playoff, a title contender, and I totally see what you're saying. Is that in the playoffs, he's going to be he's going to be owning uh, the NBA news cycle for for at least 24 hours. You can book that. Yeah, he will have one Twitter night where there's going to be 45 yeah. minutes on Twitter where everybody's going bonkers about him. My my uh, my Grantland staff makes fun of me about how much I love KJ McDaniels. Chris Ryan thinks even though I wrote in the trade value piece that he, in a totally roundabout, coincidental, I'm not saying he's Scottie Pippen, but reminds me in the most tangential way of Scottie. Like, I, I hedged it a million ways, but I I threw the Scottie Pippen name out, and the Grant one guys thought that was the funniest thing ever. That it Scottie was, like, Pippen. one of the all-time overreactions in the history of the site. And I'm like, look, I'm just saying. He's, he's in the general universe of Scottie Pippen. I'm not saying he's Scottie Pippen, but there's slate. Pieces, DNA pieces, I see. That's it. I, I mean, he's I'm not to throw cold water on, on your Scottie Pippen fantasy here, but he's got a 10 PER. Like, just to give you one number, right. he's, he's not that skilled. He's just a freak athlete. And I, from a career standpoint, I think you might be closer to Scottie Brooks than Scottie Pippen. Um, uh, from an excitement standpoint, yeah. from an excitement standpoint, he's definitely closer to Scottie Pippen, but... Um, it's, mm. it's a weird move to do now, uh, given that we've only seen, you know, a few months of Cajun McDaniels and he's had a lot of wild moments. So I, I think, well, especially when you're a crappy team and he was one of the only things your fans were excited about. I know a couple Sixer fans who've just had it with Hinky and just think that he's in it for, you know, conspiracy theory. But like when you, when you're operating your team this way, you get to keep your job for as long as possible. Same thing with the Orlando GM. Yeah, I'm just taking assets. I'm rolling over assets. Like, you can't get fired when you're rolling over assets that nobody knows if they're going to be good or not yet. You get fired yeah. when you make a trade like the Rajon Rondo trade. Yeah, and Bill, I think when you hear other GMs mock Sam Hankey and just like say it's ruining the sport, I can't believe what he's doing. I think a lot of it, Bill, is 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 jealousy. I mean, think about the job security that you have to have to do what Sam Hankey's doing. Yeah. And you have to have full buy-in for at least five years from your ownership. And I don't think GMs have that. Like, how many GMs have all-out, like, belief, job security? Like, Bill Belichick, uh, Greg Popovich. Um, like, who who else has yeah, the job Riley. security that – Riley. Like, there's only a handful of GMs who have this job security of Sam Hinkie. And that must be so liberating for a GM where they don't have to look, you know, saving their own ass every, every day is trying to keep their job. So I, I agree that he's definitely alienated a subsection of, uh, of Philly fans. But as soon if like, if Joel and B turns out to be amazing, I think we all forget about this and they go into, you know, building mode rather than just like collecting assets. They actually turn them into nice pieces. So, um, you know, there's there's multiple ways you can go about it. You can go the Atlanta Hawks and the Houston Rockets route and just, you know, tread water for a few years and then suddenly you're a title contender. Or you can go the New Orleans Pelicans where they just get Anthony Davis and then suddenly their, their entire franchise turns around. Sam Hinkie is hoping that Joel Embiid or whoever it is, Julia Okafor, and by the way, they got that pick, the Lakers pick, top five protected, top three protected next year. Um, so they have a really good shot at getting a franchise cornerstone in the next couple of years, and we might be laughing at this conversation we're having now. I like the Carter-Williams trade. I thought that was really smart. Um, I'm with they, you. They took a half-decent asset and turned it into a really good asset. Um, last question, because I know you're pressed on time. OKC gets Cantor. Um, you really have to be a hardcore NBA junkie to even have an opinion on Enos Cantor because he's been toiling away in absolute obscurity in Utah. Uh, really good low post player, not a good defender. What do you expect from him in OKC? It's it's interesting because 
You know, they do already have Steven Adams. They already have Mitch McGarry. They have Serge Ibaka, who's not a banger down low. I mean, by the way, Serge Ibaka averaging one free throw per game this year. And I think, they, I think Sky Brooks looked at Chris Bosh and what he did and was saying, like, I want that for Serge Ibaka after they killed us in the finals. But I think they're going a little overboard there. But Enos Kanter, if I'm going to bet who's going to have the bigger impact on OKC in the, in the playoffs this year, if it's Enos Kanter or the Enos Kanter and the combination of DJ Augustin versus Reggie Jackson, I'm going with the former. I like DJ Augustin. He was on a tear, averaging 20 points per game ever since he got the starting gig, filling yeah. in for Brandon Jennings. And then you get a 22-year-old who could be a nice piece. Um, so I actually love what OKC did. I know it's the, there's been mixed reviews, but I love Kyle Singler coming off the bench, and they already have Anthony Morrow. They got more shooting, and I just I don't think it's a it's a downgrade from Augustine uh, going to Augustine versus versus Reggie Jackson. So I'm I'm a big fan of what Sam Preston did yesterday. Yeah, I mean he finally started making some moves. I, I he traded Perkins a year too late, but at least was able to package him with a pick to get Canner. Uh, I really like the Augustine Singler combo. I think Singler's gonna be good for them. Yeah, uh, totally agree. I, I could see him actually playing in crunch time in certain playoff games for them. I liked where where his career was going in Detroit. He seemed like I don't remember if I wrote it or said in a podcast, but his career was starting to get that that feeling of somebody who on July third of some year signs with San Antonio for twelve million for four years, and it's just kind of the eighth biggest story of the day. And then all of a sudden he's making huge threes for him. You're like, wow, I didn't realize I got him. <laughs> um, but I think he could do that for OKC. Cantor I'm intrigued by because – and House and I just talked about this. They have some guys now who have who have not played in a big game ever. Like they're relying on waiters now yeah. as their heat check guy. Never played in a big game. They're relying on Cantor now to come off the bench and draw some double teams and make some post-up plays and do some stuff. He's never played in a big game. You know, and when you get in a situation like they were in last year in Memphis, when Durant and Westbrook sucked, when they were about to, you know, just fall behind irrevocably in that series, and then Reggie Jackson, for whatever reason, stepped up and made shot after shot. Who's going to be that guy this year if that happens? That's the part I can't figure out. Yeah, I mean, when you have Russell Westbrook doing the things that he's doing, I don't think you need that guy. I mean, I know. Yeah, maybe you don't. Like, Russell Westbrook is historically good right now. Um, I've been digging into the numbers, and it's just we we haven't seen a guy this ball dominant and score this much and distribute. Um, It's just he's a Nova. He's like he's a freak athlete who no one can stop. And so maybe you don't need that. Maybe KD, healthy KD, and Russell Westbrook are so good right now coming into their prime that you don't need that heat check guy because you already have it. You already have Kevin Durant, the reigning MVP. But um, OKC, man, 23% of their minutes this year have had Serge Ibaka, Russell Westbrook, and Kevin Durant on the floor. Just 23% wow. of their season, they've had that trio on the floor. In their like championship year, that was at like 55%. So if those three get healthy, I think, I think they're right there uh, for the title contender um, in that race. Uh, I have no doubt about it, but with KD having a bad night with his uh, with his toe last night with his foot issues, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I don't know how much time is left for them to just say, okay, when healthy, when healthy, when healthy. Uh, but they certainly beefed up their bench, uh, so I think they made uh, they made their, themselves better. And I'm glad to see Sam Presti, like you said, adding pieces that can help. Yeah, I'm worried about Durant, and I, I was worried. It seemed like they they brought him back a little too early for what that injury was and what the history of it was with other players. And I don't know. I, I, I always feel like NBA players, especially guys with size who move like Durant does, you have one little injury and it's like a building where the structure gets knocked off and then that leads to a second thing. And um, they better hope that he's yep. healthy because, you know, for for all the obvious reasons. But also I do feel like their window is is right now. You don't want to go into next year when he's a free agent, not having made the finals since 2012 and all the pressure that is and everybody just talking about what he's going to do all year. I think next year is going to be really tough for those guys. And on top of it, it doesn't seem like they handle that, that noise well. Like they're already kind of imploding um, mentally against some perceived th- uh, issue that the media has with them. And meanwhile, I think – 
I really feel like Durant is the most popular, highest approval rating guy since Dr. J. Have you ever heard <laughs> one person say anything bad about Kevin Durant ever? No, I think this is more frustration about his own season than it is about what the media is saying. So, right. Look, if they don't make if they don't win a title this year, it's going to get worse than ever. So I hope Kevin Durant gets a thick skin because it's going to get way worse from here on out if they don't win. Yeah. Well, we will see. I my prediction: if he's healthy, and everybody's talking about what a scary eight seed they are, if he's healthy and they just keep what they have healthy for twenty eight games. That is not an eight seed. They will get to the sixth, seventh, maybe even the fifth. They, they'll go. Totally like, agree. They'll go like twenty-two and three down the stretch, or whatever it takes, if healthy. Um, and I think Dallas and the Clippers are going to go the other way and are a threat to fall into that eight seed. Dallas, especially, I just don't like the way they look. They're not passing the eye test for me. There's something off with that team. So we will see. Hey Tom, great job on uh, ESPN.com. I really enjoy reading your stuff. Hey, anytime, Bill. Really appreciate it. And and we we should have a little gentleman's bet here: Scotty Brooks or Scotty Pippen for KJ McDaniel. Who's gonna have like we're, we're gonna have to have a metric something who, who gets closer. All right, well, let's figure that out. We'll figure that out offline. <laughs> thanks for the podcast. Right, thanks, Safe bro. travels. All right, take care. Bye bye. You know what? We're running so long here. We're gonna take this to a part two. I'm gonna call Haralabob Bulgaris, who's been on this podcast before, accomplished gambler. And, uh, and a really fun Twitter follow and a very, very smart basketball fan in general. We're going to take that to a part two of the BS Report. So look out for that. Thanks. Thank you for downloading the BS Report with Bill Simmons. Too much Check out more podcasts at the iTunes Music Store or at Podcenter at ESPNRadio.com. Peace out.